Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Zinedine Zidane and Real Madrid come out victorious with a much-needed win against Barcelona. They win 3-1. We'll be talking El Clásico as well as Premier League, Manchester United against Chelsea. The snooze fest, that was Manchester United against Chelsea. Aston Villa loses to Leeds. Don't get me started. We got so much more coming up. Jimmy Conrad, Heath Pierce, stay right here. It's the weekend recap. Welcome to Gego Lasso Podcast. And I got my brothers here, Heath Pierce and Jimmy Conrad, ready to bring you all the action. Heath, Jimmy, let's go with Jimmy first. How are you, bud? I'm doing great, but I'm freezing in my own house, so I had to put on a jacket. Hope that doesn't in- insult anybody. Well, uh, East Coasters are going to be very offended here with the, the coldness that LA or, or the West Coast brings. Heath, I-, I take it you're having the same dilemma? Yeah, we got clouds here, so I threw a sweater on just trying to make sure I'm staying warm, you know, uh, putting it out there. I'm good, though. I'm good. Life's good. Get the bat sign out. It's it's cloudy in L.A. <laughs> exactly. Suffer. right, we're, suffering. we're suffering. Yeah, here. Yeah. We're suffering here. We're suffering. Stop right, rubbing it in our this. faces. It's under 70 degrees here. Before we get that West Coast-East Coast rivalry livened up again in this, uh, let, let's get going. El Clásico. Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Real Madrid, as everybody mentioned in this pod, uh, mentioned last week with a much-needed victory. 3-1. Fede Valverde opened the scoring, cancelled out by Ansu Fati, making it 1-0 uh, at halftime. And then uh, Sergio Ramos with the penalty. We will talk about that, I promise. And then it all finished off with Luka Modric uh, making it 3-1, a much-needed victory, regardless of what we think about the game itself. Uh, Jimmy, uh, first off, from a betting stand, uh, standard and then into your analysis, uh, h- how did you do that? I didn't do well. I had the draw. I f- actually felt pretty good after 10 minutes. It was 1-1, some early goals that I didn't think were going to be – I thought it would be a little bit tighter than that, frankly. I thought it was going to end 1-1, maybe 2-2, but I just thought both teams maybe had more to lose and we're going to play it tight. But – I guess defending's optional in this game in, the, in particular. Um, so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't hit the, the, the big bet that I had, which was the draw. But, uh, yeah, Madrid had some good odds there. And if anybody bet them, they got to be feeling pretty good about it. So, Heath, um, let's get into the analysis, okay? Let, let's break it down. And I guess, guys, let's do it chronologically, okay? Uh, how did you see the first half, I guess? Uh, Fede Valverde, I mean, Real Madrid opened the scoring less than under 10 minutes, and then Ansu Fati, a great ball from Messi that led Jordi Alba to make it the ball. How did you see the first half? I thought the first half was good. I thought Barcelona were good in the first half. I thought that they 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 were actually well organized. It was actually great to see Sergio Dest get his sort of El Clasico debut, the first American to ever play in that that matchup. Uh, and I thought he did well throughout the game. But first half, I thought I thought Barcelona were much better than in the second half. Uh, Real Madrid, obviously, uh, great to come off uh, for a start like that at the Camp Nou. It's a completely different atmosphere, completely different circumstances. So I'm not sure if I if I count this as much. But these are two teams that that hate each other and. And one thing that I wanted to note real quick is, is uh, after the game, and I know we're going this chronologically, so this is not uh, uh, 
good by me, but, but Sergio Ramos had said, I've been here for 16 seasons and I know a crisis for Real Madrid happens after just two games. Our goals don't change. And I found that really interesting, right? We'd been talking about this the last couple of weeks around, you know, do they need signings? Is their form going to change? Are they going to bounce back? Is there a crisis happening right there? there right now and they know that crisis happens after two games and they were able to get this which i think could be a huge confidence builder for the team moving forward but yeah first half was good from from especially from barcelona who ended up obviously losing so um fedele verde scores it uh jimmy and sufati makes it one all you know aside from all the statistics that he's already you know uh put together youngest uh scorer uh, in La Liga, youngest scorer in Champions League, now becomes the youngest scorer in El Clasico. Uh, we, we cut to the break. Uh, and then the, the, the second half kind of trying to find itself a rhythm, I guess, going back and forth. And then the 63rd minute, uh, I know you have some thoughts. Um, Lenglet, uh, you know, well, first of all, VAR intervenes with a possible infraction in the box. Uh, Lenglet uh, appearing to hold his shirt. He is holding his shirt. Obviously, it's an Oscar-worthy performance of a of a die from Sergio Ramos, but the penalty is given, makes it 2-1. Let, let's stay in that moment, Jimmy. How did you see it? Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, listen, I'm ready to explode on this game in general. I would no, say that, that Sergio Ramos is a master of the dark arts, okay? And... I think we all appreciate and respect him for that. He's become so good at that. And that's part of what makes him a winner, right? He'll do whatever it takes to get a result. And he doesn't apologize for it. Yeah, you want me to arm bar most a lot of Champions League final? No problem, as long as we win. You want me to act like I got, you know, had my neck torn off and my, my shirt was tugged? Uh, yeah, that's the thing. I get it. I get that there's some nuance there and that VAR is going to look at it. And yes, there was a shirt pull. Heath can speak to this as well as a former center back, whether we're on the attacking side of the ball or defending. Tugging and pulling is part of every single play on a set piece. I think it's the same in the NFL. You could call holding on every single play in the NFL. You can call these same ticky-tack uh, types of plays uh, or the tugs and pulls uh, on set pieces in, in the beautiful game. That's what's frustrating to me, and I wish that – it's just unfair, I think, that a game of this magnitude was decided on a call like that. Um, Keith? So, oh, no, so sorry. Go ahead. Keep going. No, Keep no, going. I just – Go ahead. Go ahead, Heath. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think obviously the shirt pull is there, but if you went back and re rewound every set piece, there's there's pulling, there's tugging, there's things like that. No shirt pull has ever led to somebody flailing or getting knocked over or hit by a train in the way that Sergio Ramos. He went down earlier in the match too, trying to draw a penalty. So that that to me was is one where look. Letter of the law, yeah, I get it. You go back and you look at it, and you're like, okay, there's obviously you know hand away from the body pulls on him, but again that just changes the kind of game that you have to play now where everything in the box, you have to, you have to review everything. You have to review every single set piece because somebody's getting pulled, somebody's getting pushed, somebody's getting kicked or held or something like that. That is penalty worthy by the letter of the law. So let me just, um, before I, I give my thoughts on it, let, let, let's finish off the game. It, it, the, the, the penalty is given. Sergio Ramos scores it. It's 2-1. And I guess many could say, especially Barcelona fans, that obviously the fluidity of the game, uh, the rhythm of the game, I guess the uh, momentum of the game started to you know head even more Real Madrid's way. Barcelona was chasing the game. And then uh, Luka Modric finishes it off with 3-1. And Real Madrid, for the first time since 2007, win a Clásico in which they are defending champions a much needed victory um let's go back jimmy wait, wait, to i gotta i have to jump in because the fact that sergio ramos made it two to one in the 63rd minute 
and it took Ronald Koeman, the manager of Barcelona, 20 more minutes to make any subs is is ridiculous to me. That and you, you get more subs. Long. You get more subs. Dude, 82nd minute he makes subs. What, what is Griezmann and those guys, Dembele, Trincao, what are they going to do in 10 minutes? I mean, that you're going to really have them salvage a game. And then they come on. The Braithwaite comes on five minutes after that. And then Luka Modric scores, right? Because yeah. now everybody's all over the place. They're trying to put in many as many people forward. Their, their, their team shapes all over the place. I have big problems with Kuman in this one. Yeah, he can blame VAR and he can blame all this other crap. But I would start with the starting lineup. He goes with Pedri who 17 years old, like Ansu Fati, fine. He's established himself. I know you're pissed off at Griezmann, but the guy knows how to play in big games. He's a World Cup winner. Uh, he's done it for Atleti, Real Sociedad, and obviously France and other games too. Uh, I don't understand. Just throw the guy out there, dude. Like he has more experience. He can change a game by himself. He's a bigger threat than Pedri is. Pedri's not ready for that. He's a guy that could come off the bench. But again, I, even that aside, the fact that you'd wait until the 82nd minute to make subs is absolutely ridiculous, and he should be held accountable for that. Heath, anything to add? No, I agree. I agree. I think uh, when you look at, at the bench, they don't have a traditional striker. Braithwaite's their only real, real striker that can play up top. That would be good to have another dynamic like that that you bring on in, in, in a situation like that that can hold the ball and kind of help you get back into a rhythm again. But again, I, I find it unacceptable. Unacceptable to wait that long. Even the broadcasters, everything. Like most of that story was about, hey, you have all of this attacking talent. You have Griezmann on the bench. Just put him in. Don't make it personal. This is about Real Madrid versus Barcelona. Put him in and let him be the game changer he can be. And if he isn't, then hold him accountable for that. Yeah. Let me just say my thoughts. First of all, let, let's stick to this point uh, about the decision. I, I'm 100 million percent in agreement here. I, I actually tweeted it straight away. The, you know, the, the biggest issue with Barcelona as the game continued, even after the penalty, even after one, was that the Real Madrid was clearly seeing, seeing that there was only a plan A at this point. And if you're not going to introduce, as Jimmy said, somebody like Antoine Griezmann, who despite how annoyed he might be or how perfect his game might not have been previous to this, it doesn't matter. What you needed way earlier, specifically at that point, was a more direct threat against Kroll. Because clearly, Kuman's intentions uh, throughout the game were two. One was for Sergio Busquets and De Jong to control the midfield. Not do anything crazy, not do anything silly, just control it. Two, for Pedri and Serinho Dest uh, to really just maintain Vinicius Jr. Fine, you did that. But what happens when you're down and you're losing? Then you have to gamble on either one. And that's when someone like Griezmann needs to come in. On the penalty, listen, here's what I think. Was it soft? Absolutely. Does it happen all the time? 1,000%. Is Sergio Ramos literally giving you Robert De Niro, Denzel Washington type of performance as he dives? Yes. But was that his first time, like you said, with Salah and everything else? Will it ever be his last? No. So why in the hell, Langlet, are you even attempting to even put a blink of a finger on him because you know that because of his experience, he's going to make the most of it. Of course, it's a ridiculous penalty. Of course, it should never have happened. Of course, it's going to happen again. But guess what? We are in the era of VAR. And if you need to know one thing, it's this, is that once VAR intervenes, the referee is going to bring out his proverbial micro, uh, microscope and look at every single detail. And the only most obvious thing that you see there is Langlet pulling his shirt. Of course it was ridiculous, but guess what? That's what Sergio Ramos does. He has the experience to do it. And guess what? Three points, three, three points, a victory, and a win for Real Madrid. So 
you know, at the end of the day, that's the reality of the situation. And Real Madrid come out with huge win, go top of the table, at least at that time. And Barcelona, like you said, go back to Koeman thinking, why didn't I put in my biggest stars earlier, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because at the end of the day, Messi, at this point, he can't do it anymore. Any lasting thoughts on this game? Yeah, I'll say, uh, you know, fair play to Madrid. I think we're going hard on Barcelona because I think there was an expectation they should do better in this one. But I thought that Zidane got his lineup right. And when Nacho went at it right back to put Lucas Vasquez there and to think that he could hold down that spot was pretty impressive. And Lucas was yeah. pretty good. So yeah, uh, good I'm point. excited to see uh, how that looks moving forward. I thought starting Fede Valverde, who's got a little bit more energy, despite him scoring a fantastic goal, by the way. Uh, I thought was a stroke of genius. He had a lot of good energy and I thought he was doing well on the Barcelona side though, to take one more shot at them just overall. I'm curious as to the future of PK and Busquets. They're clearly slowing down. They're not the same players they used to be. And that's fine, right? That's just part of the evolution of a player. It's not a knock on them. That's just part of it. I don't know what happens moving forward because I'm TT. I don't even know if that guy's still alive. I don't even know what's happened with him. Uh, De Jong's been good, but like at what point do you start to transition into different guys in those positions? Because I think at some point, uh, they're they're going to start to be more uh, like Marcelo is for Real Madrid, more of a, of a problem than 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 problem solvers, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Well, as we speak, as we are taping right now, uh, Real Sociedad is still number one because they're leading Huesca 1-0. That might change by the end of taping, but regardless, three points and a win in El Clásico. All right, moving on. A lot of action, of course, outside of just El Clásico and Spain. Let's talk about Premier League. We're not even going to begin with Manchester United, Chelsea, because I, I could just tell you, like, you know, um, I don't know, a really boring essay on quantum <laughs> physics, and that, that might get you more exciting. But let's talk about, you know, the defending champions, Liverpool, Sheffield United. They, they, they beat them 2-1. Sheffield United actually opened the scoring. Uh, Sander Birch with a 13-minute penalty. We can talk about that as well in a second. Roberto Firmino equalized in the 41st minute, making it 1-0, and it was pretty tight for a while. And then Diego, uh, Diego Jota, uh, the new player from Wolves, comes in and scores a, a vital winner, giving three points for Liverpool. Uh, Jimmy, how do you see this from a betting standard and any analysis to add to it? Yeah, I mean, Liverpool obviously were the heavy favorite. They never lose at home, and they didn't, again, even though some uh, squeaky bum time there for a while. But I think their class and quality showed through. I saw that Jordan Henderson afterwards really is more interested in not necessarily how they're performing on the field, but more about their mentality. That, yes, they're dealing with a ton of adversity with Virgil van Dijk uh, being out, of course, Fabinho slotted in, and, yes, that penalty was yeah, – it's a little it's – a little. there's a lot of talking points, I guess, around that penalty, but – but that aside, they still found a way. It's a very difficult team to beat in Sheffield United, who are very organized and have good team shape defensively, and came back and did it. And another hat tip to Diogo Jota for getting the winner. That's his second goal uh, at home at Anfield, and he seems to start. He seems to be getting really comfortable wearing Liverpool red, and and uh, I think these are all good signs. Yeah, it wasn't pretty, but they got the result. And and there are some though. I will say that I really like Andy Robertson and Mo Salah. Sometimes that break, right? I know the COVID break, the the lockdown. Some players took advantage of it and some didn't. Some players, and I think Liverpool will really benefit from this moving forward, they needed that break. They've been playing for, what, three years straight? So for them to just have this, this mandatory break where they just know you can't go anywhere, you can't do anything, you got to relax and chill out, I think really benefited a few players. And I think Andy Robertson and Mo Salah in particular uh, have just looked really close to like that peak Mo Salah and Andy, Andy Robertson that we've seen in the past. Yeah, and uh, uh, Heath, a good thing too in this game was that Allison came back, so adding a little bit more strength there. And, you know, it's a, it's a second uh, win of the week where even though Liverpool were not exactly formidable, 
they they came out with 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 a win. What are your thoughts overall, just on on Liverpool's uh, you know sort of campaign right now? I'm actually, and I would love to get your guys' opinion on this. Diego Jota, Diego Jota, did you expect him uh, when when he went to Liverpool? And 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 obviously this is old news. Do you expect him to have an instant impact? Because he was he was like you know even in Europa League at times he was on the bench and stuff like that. And he he's come over and he, he's almost like the perfect signing. And I, perhaps I wasn't paying enough attention to him to see how he fit into the Liverpool system. But are either of you surprised? Jimmy, you can go first. Uh, yes and no. I would say that uh, he proved himself in the Europa League. He was second in scoring to Raul Jimenez last season. I think he had six or seven goals. So his quality was clear. I, I'm actually surprised that Wolves let him go. I mean, yeah, that's my I, issue. I, yeah, I don't even know. I'd like to hear a little bit of uh, some answers from that club as to why they let him go. Obviously, money talks. So maybe there was a situation there. Maybe there was another opportunity that was going to free up for another player on their squad. But uh, he's got qualities. And I think because he had that, as you say, Heath, that, that mentality of coming off the bench for Wolves, that's actually the perfect spot for him to be comfortable with Liverpool because he wasn't going to start regularly, especially behind uh, Salah and, and Mane. But he he slotted into the middle of midfield behind those three this time around. They put him in a different position, and I thought he did well. And, and he showed it. You know, anytime he comes on, he, he's a, I don't know, a, fresh, a, brush, a breath of fresh air. That's what I wanted to say. Yeah. Where, where all of a sudden his tempo and his ideas have changed the game and give him some life. So he actually, he's been, he's been a great signing. Yeah, you just yeah, don't see super subs moving for transfer fees and things like that in, yeah, in a way that, you know what I mean? It's just, it was just a very bizarre thing for me that I came, you know, I'm still uh, clearly uh, dealing with, with this, of trying to figure out uh, what I didn't see because I felt like, oh man, Am I not watching the same? I mean, uh, quality is there for sure, and stats speak for themselves. But a player that was like a mixed player to go out and get a transfer team, that, hey, that's the guy I wanted my team to add depth to my squad, and I'm going to spend money for him, was just a little bit of, uh, of a shock for me. Yeah, that's my biggest issue. So my biggest issue is this. Diego Jota is a terrific player. I mean, he's already shown it. Uh, so, you know, part of it is what Jimmy just said, which is like I'm not really sure why Wolves even let him go. I guess maybe there's some something in the background. Uh, there, but the other problem is I actually think, uh, you know, the other side is that Jurgen Klopp has the factor. So if he says, "Look, I'm interested in you," I'm sure Diogo Jota was like, "Oh, I want to go to Liverpool." Obviously, defending champions, Champions League football is obviously a big thing. But I think Liverpool need other tools here. You know, I, I think that was the least of their necessities. Actually, like, look, you know, obviously nobody could predict what happened to Van Dijk, but defensively defensively, especially like what happens if something happens to Jordan Henderson, if James Miller continues to, you know, just, you know, just be like this impact sub, but not really an impact sub, just like somebody that can solidify. There were so many things that Liverpool needed. Having said all that, he grabbed a winner for Liverpool uh, this past weekend, three points, and that's the most important thing. Let's let's move on. Let's talk about some other games. We got to touch on Manchester United, Chelsea, I guess. Uh, my God, uh, the most exciting thing for me was just watching Edinson Cavani jump up and down and getting ready to enter the pitch. It was nil-nil. I mean, United had plenty more shots, 14 shots, uh, four on target to Chelsea, six, only one on target. Pretty even on possession, but it was a nil-nil. It was rainy, it was dreary, and so was kind of the performance from both sides. Obviously, some uh, tools missing, uh, missing from United's point of view, but really, uh, you know, not much to talk about. Jimmy, what are some thoughts from this game? Uh, for me in particular, it's this emphasis on defending and getting numbers back behind the ball for Chelsea. You know, they were up 3-0 against Southampton last week, and they gave up three goals. And I think it's clear that Frank Lampard's like, listen, we got to figure out the defending side of it. We just can't leak so many goals. 
And I think that's been such a strong emphasis on that. They did it against Sevilla midweek in the Champions League and now against Manchester United. I mean, he ultimately went with a back five. You got Reese James, Espilicueta, Thiago Silva, Kurt Zuma, and Ben Chilwell. And then you have Ingolo Conte, arguably the best CDM uh, in the world, and Jorginho. I mean, that's you got a block of seven guys. Of course, they only got one shot on goal. You can't expect Pulisic and Timo Werner and Kai Havertz to, to, to manipulate and try to find space with also a Manchester United team that's trying to tighten things up in the back. So 0-0 actually wasn't that surprising of a result. I just wonder now where Frank Lampard's going to find that balance. Like, what's going to give? For me, I would lose a double pivot. Like, I didn't think Jorginho was ever going to be in the team. I just didn't think he fit. He was a Maurizio Sarri guy, not a Frank Lampard guy. He was sitting on the bench when Frank Lampard first came in. And then all of a sudden, I thought, oh, they're going to sell this guy. Now he's wearing the captain's armband. Like, I, I don't get it. You know, and obviously, N'Golo Conte has a lot of quality and he, he didn't go to Inter Milan. Maybe he should have, cause maybe free him from the situation a little bit. I think if Chelsea loses that double pivot, then they can bring on somebody else in the middle of midfield. Maybe it's a Kovacic who's more of a possession based guy, but can help him transition or they can put Kai Havertz, which is what I think they should do under Timo Werner, because that's when he had a lot of success at Bayer Leverkusen. And then you can throw on another winger and maybe find some more time, or you could have Timo Werner play underneath Tammy Abraham. I just think you can use your more, all these attacking options at your disposal, but you have to free up some somewhere. I don't know where that is, but for me, the double pivot makes the most sense. Of well, look, you have all these players, you have all this talent, all this genius, and look, one shot on target. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like, come on. There is so much, you know, options here for Frank Lampard and it's absolutely and it's not like Manchester United is suddenly this tremendously difficult team to break down what are you, just, what are you talking about Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof oh, Harry man. Maguire. they are so intimidating <laughs> as a center back fan I, I will say that it was great to see Cavani come on it's like 200 something days since his since his last match but and Pogba as well they brought dare I say brought a different element when they, they put him on uh, but the United literally look like a, a, a team that uh, you go back to the, the 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 Ferguson era of just actually at times really boring to watch uh, yeah. and not that exciting, uh, but like kind of uh, efficient in that way. But on the Chelsea side, again, I, I think Jimmy's right in that moving Havertz somewhere, because if you looked back when they uh, against West Ham, a lot of individual moments, they have the individual quality. But if you don't have individual moments of brilliance, you have to have more connected play between the team. And right Correct. now there's no connection, right? You play with all these defensive players, then you get up to your front floor four and you expect them all to create individual moments of brilliance. They're going to have, and, and if you're having an off day for, for all of them, you're expecting one of them to have a world-class moment to create a goal by themselves, ball over the top, you know, uh, you know, touch over the goalkeeper, finish it. Those things don't happen every game. So you need to have that connection between the midfield and the attacking line and start to work in and rep in these more dynamic movement between the teams, starting to get on the same page with each other. Because right now, it looks like defend to save your life, right? Solidify the defense, and then hope that one of your attacking players has an individual world-class moment. And I don't think that's a recipe for success. I know that it's a fresh uh, group of players that are playing together, new transfer signings, obviously. Um, but again, uh, I just think that they need more time to, to find a rhythm and connection together. But if you don't have a midfielder that can connect those lines again, you're just relying on, on those players to, to create moments of brilliance. Well, they don't have that much time because, you know, these are all the players that have come in here for, to do a few things. One is to make sure they have a good campaign in the Champions League. And two is to really go beyond a top four finish, you know, whatever that may be. But we'll see. They have Burnley next and Manchester United has Arsenal next. So that should be an interesting one. And, uh, you know, uh, sticking around with this weekend of the Premier League, I'll give you some other scores. Crystal Palace beat Fulham. 
2-1. Fulham continues to look for that first win of the season. Wilfred Sahau, of course, uh, toyed with them for, for much of the game. Southampton, a very good performance against Everton. Uh, a red card there with Dina uh, coming up, but uh, Southampton breaks Everton's uh, you know, unbeaten streak. Uh, it seems like right now the, the narrative for the Premier League is anybody can beat anybody, I guess. West Ham Man City won all. Uh, Wolves Newcastle won all. And um, let's, uh, yes, we will talk about it right now. Leeds United beats Aston Villa 3-0. Let me just say this, okay? We deserved to lose, all right? Leeds <laughs> thank, United, you, thank you for clarifying that. Absolutely going for blood in this game. It was uh, nil-nil at halftime and pretty even, pretty even. Leeds United usually doing what it does best, which is like super aggressive on the counter. Jack Harrison, my God, my, my hat goes off to that kid. You know, hey, He was an average way- MLS player. So what's happening to the Premier League if this guy's dominating? <laughs> exactly, <Astro>. right? <laughs> MLS, what? No, absolutely amazing. And then in the second half, Bielsa said, you know what, enough of this. And Patrick Bamford, uh, I was telling the boys before taping, he turned into Dennis Bergkamp, some ridiculous finishing, some questionable defending, but really Pat Bamford deserved his hat trick and leads very, very good for this win, 3 nothing. But not to take away anything from Villa, it's now about how they react. It's the first loss of the season. They still have a game in hand. But well done to Leeds. Uh, what'd you make of it, Jimmy? Yeah, I thought, to your point, Leeds had a good performance. I think what Bielsa's teams do very well is that they're relentless in their pressure. They're relentless in their passing patterns. And you can see it. And if you're not disciplined enough with your team's shape, at some point, they're going to poke and prod, and they're going to come get you and, fi- and exploit those, those areas that you leave wide open, which is what ended up happening for the first goal. The guy that ran in, Jack Harrison, did very well to hold up the ball on the sideline. But if you guys haven't seen it, the, the amount of space between the two center backs and the defenders on Villa and the, the yeah, fact that the, the, the center midfielders weren't tracking the runner, I mean, you could, honestly could have driven like three dump trucks into that space. That's how big it was. And at that point, the defenders are now reacting. They're not anticipating anymore, which was a bit of a, a bit of a shock because Aston Villa, for me, had been one of the most disciplined teams defensively throughout this Premier League season. But at some point, right, there's going to be some cracks, and they got they got hit by a team that that needed that first goal. I feel like whoever scored first was going to go on to win this game, and it just happened to be Leeds. And then once Bamford had that one, it was a tap in. But his next two were fantastic. Good goals, you know, good patience and composure in and around the box, and obviously two world class finishes and. That's what you get with the guy. And I'm stoked because he was in my fantasy team. I didn't captain him, but but uh, I'm excited he banged in three. I was a little nervous. I'm like, ah, I don't know. Villa's pretty good defensively, but they they proved otherwise. And this is a testament to Leeds. I mean, if you let them hang around long enough in a game, and we saw it in the first game of the season against Liverpool, they can play. But if you can somehow make them make mistakes, because sometimes they try to play out of tough situations and then punish them for those mistakes, they get down on themselves a little bit harder for them to play out of that. But if they get a goal, their confidence changes immensely. And then we saw it today. It was, a, it was a good performance. Yeah, Heath, and this was a game actually without their captain, Liam Cooper, and uh, Calvin Phillips, the England international as well. And something that I tweeted, Heath, uh, that here's the thing, like if you ever tweet anything about Leeds, by the way, whether it's good or bad, just get ready for Leeds United fans to just go at you. So uh, my, my basic thing that I said was that Bielsa, his system, though super entertaining and effective and we love it, it's actually at its core very simple. Go wide, 
go extremely aggressive on the counter. To your point before about Chelsea, forget about the individual, but rather the collective. And if all of those things tick the boxes, you are most likely going to come victorious if you take your chances. And people thought that, oh my God, it's way more complicated than that. It's like, it's not actually, it's not com more complicated than that. Remember what Leonardo da Vinci said, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And Biasa absolutely proves that every time. If you overcomplicate things in this game, you're gonna get in trouble. Exhibit A, Pep Guardiola uh, with Man City against Real Madrid last season, right? You don't overcomplicate, and Biasa doesn't do that. He just sees the game one way and he wants to play it exactly. And if you don't nullify at least two out of those three things, you're going to get killed. But how much do you like this Leeds United, Heath, when you watch them? I like them a lot. And, and not to shift the subject at all to – to because they're really exciting. If you watched them last year in the championship too, uh, same thing, just really, really exciting, high press, relentless, over and over and over again. They had a few cracks along the way, but you could just see that they were just leaning and leaning on that league to almost forcing their way in. And not through quality, just – just through literally relentlessness of pressing, you know, the way that they attack the wings, the way that they're literally just like, we're going to scrap out, we're going to be high energy. And that's always exciting to see. Um, and obviously Jack Harrison fits right into that type of system. But the thing you mentioned earlier about Villa, right? Uh, they lose this one. And I see the same thing for, for, for Everton in the sense of you actually need this type of adversity to have a good mm -hmm. season. And you want to have it now because it's going to test you, right? You, now you get to say, are we a good team because we're in form or are we actually a good team this season? You can ride the wave of some luck and, and success. And, and you see with City right now, you know, when City's in form in normal seasons, they'll find a result. They had chances at the end of their game, but they have the quality that are going to kind of get them out of that mess. But when you look at Everton, they have the quality, but do they have the confidence and belief that they can be a top team? Villa, same thing. They have the quality to be a top six team. Uh, this year, but you're, they're being tested now. And it's good to be tested now because you actually get to go through those motions of, oh man, we're not that good. We're not, we're not bulletproof. We're actually, this is, we're going through some challenges right now. How are we going to figure this out? Both individual players are having to deal with those uh, kind of swings of confidence. And then as a collective team where you go, oh man, so we don't just come out every game and, and we play and we win. That's not how this works because you're in form. Things are, you know, the kind of 51% where the ball bounces your way, you get a couple uh, easy goals or late wins, things like that, that are, aren't necessarily indicators of how good your team are. These are the points of this. This is that point of the season, six games in for most of the teams right now to really test, are you going to be a competitive team in the top six this year? Or were you just on a run of form and you're going to fall back into the mid table somewhere? Yeah. Very good point. And the good thing, the interesting thing now, Jimmy, that we're seeing the narrative in this Premier League is that it's, it's pretty competitive. I mean, here we have Leeds United who beat Villa, uh, you know, but Leeds also previously uh, lost their game to Wolves, who Wolves uh, just tied it with Newcastle so they couldn't get that win. Uh, but at the same time, Liverpool beat Sheffield United, but they lost to Villa. So there's, there's so many intricacies with so many games right now that everybody right now is beatable. I'm not looking at this league saying somebody's totally getting out of the way. Everybody watch out. And I'm wondering, Jimmy, if that's, is it, you know, because we're in the pandemic era, because uh, there's no fans, so that adds a different type of environment. What do you make of it? I don't know, but I, I don't know about that perspective exactly, but I'll say that it's very MLS of them. <laughs> yeah. to, to, to have a league where anybody can beat anybody. So I appreciate where they're coming from. Now I'm just excited to see when they get the new designated player rule. Into the um, <laughs> no lots, lots, yeah. lots of jokes there, lots of jokes yeah. there. But it is, I'm looking at the table right now while you're talking. It is pretty funny to see Manchester United in 15th, uh, City in 13th, Tottenham in 11th, Arsenal in 10th, Chelsea in 8th, 
And then you have Everton who's on top villas in third Leeds are in fourth Southampton. I want to give a shout out to them. They've been very good in fifth crystal palace in six. It's fun. It's fun yeah. to see that. And, and I think it opens things up and I think it's proven that the big teams maybe aren't as scary as they once were. Is that due to no fans? I don't know. I don't think it's as easy or as simple as that. I just think that uh, some teams are just better prepared and ready to go and, and maybe taking their opportunities a little bit more, maybe taking those games a little bit more serious. I could see a little bit of a drop off if you're a top club and not having all that juice of like being the big club. And there's really no vibe around you showing up to an away stadium or even at home, but the other clubs don't care. They're just going to come in and kick your ass. So I, I, uh, I appreciate what's happening right now. Yeah. yeah I, I, I would say this uh, one. I think you're seeing with Liverpool. This is, I think what, four years into a project. Right, it's hard to keep that level. You've just lost your 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 captain. I think they'll be fine. They're the only one of between United, Arsenal, uh, Man City that they're looking at the table. Right, everybody's like all the big clubs are looking at the table, going, "Oh, this is great." So you you mean I just got to win three straight, which I'm used to doing on a regular basis, and I can be back in in the top four. I think it's a great scenario for them. I think it's way more exciting for the Premier League that these teams are there. But again, yeah, it, I, I think COVID is. So, did either of you guys see the video um, that? Um, that you guys posted uh, last week from Ethan Horvath when he was talking about his 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 match for Club Bruges in the Champions League, and he was emotional about like just how hard it is to be alone right now and how hard it is to go through COVID. It really humanized the experience for some of these guys of just how how much is going on within these clubs, right? And we're all going through it in our own homes and our own lives. And then you add that level of playing at a big club. It can be it can be a lot to take in, uh, especially when you're constantly in hotels, in and out of hotels, in and out of matches, things like that. There's a lot of those elements that could be playing into this as well. Um, and just the exhaustion phase of condensed schedules, things like that. And then also you look at Man City, same thing. Uh, so many games, so long. And Pep Guardiola tends to burn out uh, himself and burn out players of just that intensity that's needed that many years. I don't know if we're seeing just this 10 degrees of, of transition happening within within the Premier League right now, but but I love it. Yeah, but I, no, I just want to jump in really quick. Yeah, I go just want to jump in, Luis, and just say, and this is to give some context to Heath's thoughts because he just said it. The condensed schedule is a big deal. And the teams that I mentioned that are in the bottom half of the table that we never really see them there, they're playing in Europe. And, and I think that adds another layer of, of complexity to the loneliness that Heath is talking about, to the physical exertion, to the mental exhaustion that these guys have to go through, to the pressure to perform, and, and probably the, I don't know, the potential midlife crisis they're going through. Of Why are we actually playing these games? And who is it for? Is it is it for TV money or is it for like – you know, is it just to make sure people have an escape from the heaviness of life? I, I don't know. You know, I'm mean, sure a lot of that seeps in. I mean, I don't know how, the, how it couldn't because these guys are they're human beings. Human beings, indeed. And the mental and physical aspect of all this cannot be ignored. And to finalize uh, the Premier League, two more games are tomorrow. Brighton against West Brom, Burnley against Tottenham and Leicester City beat Arsenal 1-0. Jamie Vardy comes back, scores the winner in the second half. So there does. you have it. Another added twist. Uh, it's funny, you know, because I was reading this tweet from this Arsenal fan, and he was like, Villa drop points, Everton drop points, City drop points, United drop points, Chelsea drop points. Surely we're going to win this one. <laughs> Never do that. Never do that, my friend. By the way, they're changing that front three every single match for, yeah. for Arsenal, right? Yeah. Okay, so Jimmy gets his wish. They put Lacazette back on. Alba's now on on on, on the right-hand side. By the way, if Lacazette finished any of his three Dude, or four clear so chances, chances. Yeah. They, they win. You know, it's the same thing with Raheem Sterling. You need those players in moments like this that are hugely important transitional moments of your season, right? Those three points change everything. And they're, they... they 
I guess every week at these clubs matters, but like this thing can, that can swing them back into a top three, top four conversation for Arsenal and really change the trajectory of the season or, or, or continue their trajectory of the season. You need him to finish. You need Sterling with his half chances or full chances in moments of difficulty where the team is not playing well to have those world-class moments of brilliance. That's what they have to be able to do. Lacazette couldn't do that. Sterling couldn't do that. And you see, you know, points being given up because of it. And the points keep twisting and turning. The results keep twisting and turning. Welcome back. Um, something we want to bring up, obviously, uh, other leagues, other results going uh, in the way of the people who you would expect. So uh, Bayern Munich got another victory on uh, this past weekend when they beat Eintracht Frankfurt 5 nothing. Robert Lewandowski, fellas, a hat-trick. 10 goals in the league now. It's, we're not, it's still October. <laughs> it's not a, even Halloween. A proper hat trick, too. He scored with his left foot, his right foot, and with his head. So uh, Just unbelievable. Uh, and Leroy Sané makes it 4 nothing with uh, Musiala making it 5 at the end. But I really want to just focus on Lewandowski right now. Oh, not um, Musiala. Come on. Come on <laughs> 17. Okay, Lewandowski it is. Well, Let's go. No, no, no. I mean, you can bring him up. But okay. I Listen. I just, this man is the best number nine in the world, correct? Yeah, no question. Yes. Is, do we see him ever perhaps going somewhere else? Is he completely happy here? Is there a tempting fate? Because when I think about players like this, the best number nine in the world, clearly your Real Madrid's are going to come calling. Clearly, you know, Man City, maybe, you know, these players. What, what do you make of, first of all, the Bundesliga as a whole, because it's such a great league, um, but also Lewandowski. Just what he is as a number nine. I, it's very weird for me to say this. Uh, let's begin with you, Heath. To me, it's so weird. He, I don't care. He doesn't get talked about enough. I think it's, it's very, in terms of, just how incredible this person is. Like, I'm talking Ronaldo Messi uh, stature. Like, I think that that's how good he is. What do you yeah, think? I agree. I agree. I think this is this is one where the the Ballon d'Or being canceled this year is the one of the biggest crimes in the history of football because Lewandowski's deserving of it. I do think he'll get it in 21. I don't think there's any way around around that. I think him playing in the Bundesliga, he shows he he is truly a complete striker, right? He's not overly athletic. He's not using his pace, but he does have enough pace. And but he the way he sees the game, the way he reads the game. If you watched his movement on all three of his goals, one of them he's pulling a defender away to create space for himself. Then he's driving across a, a, a defender to create space for himself. Just his little tiny movements. When you break it all down, he is a complete striker, and and he definitely doesn't get the credit because of the league that he's in. Because they win the league every year, it's 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 a even though you know Messi Ronaldo get their credit when when and and rightfully so in the leagues that they've played in. I I just think again as Jimmy said that the, the way in which he scores, there's no limitations. It's not tap-ins on the back post every time. He can score with both feet. He can score with his head. He can score from range. You know he he's just got it all. And I think uh, again the the it is one of the greatest crimes that, that uh, the ball on door was canceled this year because he is the guy that's the most deserving of it by far. And it would break yeah. up the, the monotony of, of, of previous selections. Yeah. Jimmy, I mean, listen, when, whenever I try, I, I always tell younger people to just watch video of Gerd Muller just to like, just so they can see what he's like. And Lewandowski get, reminds me a lot of him 
I think there's a little bit of an story there too, but I think Lewandowski is, it has its own right to be defined by himself. But I just, I just think he's fantastic. And I know it's weird that, yes, most people in the community know this, but I just feel like he's 32 years old. And to me, he still doesn't get the respect. Like when people talk about Ronaldo and Messi, Lewandowski should be in that, in that conversation, I think. It's also because he plays for Poland, by the way. That's another, that's another yeah, thing maybe. that takes a little bit of credit away from him because it's not as much exposure as other clubs. Sorry, Jimmy. No, no, I, I, I'm listening and I agree with all of your guys' thoughts. Uh, he's a tremendous player. And what I love about him, and you can see it, when the ball goes wide, the belief that he has, that he's going to get on the end of this and not just get on the end of it, but score yeah. is palpable. You can see it through the screen. And I, I don't, I can't say that about too many different players. Like right now, remember when Luis Suarez, let's, let's, let's just use him as an example. When he's not going through a tough, when he's going through a tough time and he's not scoring, you can see him being uncomfortable. You can see his insecurity. Like he's just not that sure of himself. But with Robert Lewandowski, you are completely sure that this guy thinks he's going to score every time he touches the ball. You can, I don't know. He's gotten better at that. I think as he's gotten older, he's gotten more and more confident in his abilities. And one of my favorite goals, and it was a recent one, was in the UEFA Super Cup against Sevilla. He ended up laying it back for Goretzka, I believe. And, and the way that he contorted his body, the way he adjusted and adapted mid-play to recognize this is where I need to go. This is where the flight of the ball is. This is where I am in, with regard to uh, the spatial awareness is what I want to say. It's so good. And the fact that he's like, I could try to get this on goal, but the better play is to lay it back to an oncoming player. It was like, that's the easiest goal I've ever seen. But it, Lewandowski does so much work there to make it look easy. And that's why I don't think he's appreciated enough is how easy he makes the game look for himself and for the players around him. He's tremendous. And I'll say this, this is, I think the, the best way you can prove someone's value is if you took him out of that Bayern Munich team, they would not be as dangerous. They don't have anybody else. Sure, Chupa Moting can come in and, and be the backup to all these top clubs, but he's not the guy that can do it like that. And sure, you guys can make an argument about Nabry. Well, he could do it in Thomas Muller. Musiala, 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 he's the whoever. But, but they still are all revolving around the aura that is Robert Lewandowski. And if he's not there to hold the ball up, that Bayern Munich attack is nowhere near the same. And I think that's a testament to his abilities and his quality. In this modern game, the biggest crime when it comes to attackers is that we forget the classic beauty of a proper number nine. And that's Robert Lewandowski, I would say. Um, so yeah, what do you think? Kego Lasso Pod, tweet us. Kego Lasso Pod is Robert Lewandowski. Does he deserve to be in that mountain when you talk about Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi? Uh, is he the best number nine in the world? If you say no, please stop, stop just following this podcast altogether. <laughs> uh, but make sure that you follow us and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. All right, guys, so I got a story. Sure. I'm looking, I'm looking around at all the score lines, and obviously we're doing our best to track every single game imaginable here. But what I found was an interesting trend. Atalanta, obviously the hipster team, everybody wants them to do well. They lost this weekend, Sampdoria. Yeah, they had more possession. Yeah, they had more shots, but they didn't do what was needed to be done, and that's quite surprising. I worry about Atalanta right now because their form's a little uneven, and they can't play Michelin every week to get their confidence going. And then I want to say that Sevilla – Lost this weekend as well. And uh, yeah, they had more possession and it's to Abar, a team they should beat, but they didn't, right? And there's, there's, that's an interesting trend for two teams that I think everybody really likes to maybe have a deep run in European competition. So I wanted to throw that out there because I'm paying attention to that. That's what I do. Now, I also want to give a shout out to another team, Philadelphia Union, who not necessarily have their backs against the wall, but, but uh, they're going to make the playoffs in MLS. They're playing the, the top team, Toronto FC. And they absolutely crushed them five to zero. And it was such an impressive performance 
that I actually think that they might be my favorites going into MLS. However, they have been snake bit when they get into the playoffs. They've lost three Open Cup finals. They don't, they don't have too much of a history in the MLS Cup playoffs at all. But there was something about the way they played, that spirit that I think is necessary, that Atalanta sometimes have, that Sevilla sometimes have. And when you lose that spirit, you kind of wonder where it goes. And that makes me wonder about Toronto FC on the flip side. They're the best team in MLS right now. And they had no answers for just the enthusiasm and, and uh, energy of, of the Philadelphia Union. So I just want to give a shout out to, to Union and their fans, tremendous fans, because uh, that was one hell of a performance. And if they play like that every game, I'm going to be tuning in all the time. It was. It was indeed. I like I like that thread. Let, let's do it, Heath. Okay, the first part is uh, Atalanta and Sevilla. I think I have a theory about, I think that Atalanta specifically, when you play under that Gasparini philosophy, there's just no humanly possible way that you can carry on every single time, especially when it's a Champions League week. It just can't. The thing that worries me, however, is that not only are they losing, but they're getting killed on the other side of it. So there's no balance, right? Before this... Like you mentioned, like they had before their Champions League win, they all they also lost big, right? So in between, instead, yeah, they're losing bad. Sevilla again, I, I see both Sevilla and Atalanta as tournament teams. No, I'm not saying that they're not good enough to be. Of course they are, but what I'm saying is like their mindset is so much better equipped for the sort of do or die type of mentality that a Champions League or or even a cup run gives you. That uh, essentially you're going to lose when it comes to marathon-like situation. Philadelphia Union, my God, like huge props to this team because it wasn't too long ago where they were the laughing stock uh, of the Eastern Conference. And, uh, you know, shout out to everybody involved in the organization, Jim Curran, and of course my boy Ale Bedoya, like really, really happy for them. Let, let's see what they can do in the playoffs. Heath, what, what do you make out of it all? Yeah, so with the Philadelphia Union, I think it's, I think it's a few things, right? Jim Curtin's outlasted poor performances in the very beginning where we would have seen a coaching carousel, right? And that allowed the Philadelphia Union to build an actual system. And that goes back to, to uh, Ernie Stewart and, and, and where they're at now. I think the other thing with Philadelphia Union is not just the quality that they have on the field. It's that they're getting attention in all the right ways, right? They're getting attention for youth development, right? Which is better than anyone right now. They've had, uh, uh, and all of that's coming to fruition, right? They started a youth academy 10 years ago, uh, a live-in live academy um, called YSC Academy. And now they're, they're seeing the fruition of those players, Mark McKenzie, Brendan Aronson. They're start, you're starting to see a philosophy come to life in real time. And so the club is getting all of this recognition when they didn't before, right? It was just a negative, there was a lot of negative connotations around it. And then the next tier to that is that those players are getting attention, when they didn't before when you go along the eastern seaboard right you have dc getting their players getting attention over the years new york red bulls obviously were a shiny toy for quite a bit of time nycfc comes into the league and they were just always in the shadows and i so i think that's a big transition moment and then on the flip side for 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 toronto my only fun fact on that not a fun fact but is jermaine defoe scored over the weekend for rangers rangers are six point clear at the top of the league scores his 300th goal uh toronto fc uh, obviously making the huge mistake to not extend his deal forever uh, because, you know, he scores for Rangers. They're six points clear. We're seeing a little bit of a changing of the guard, hopefully, or, or at least more competition in the Scottish Premiership. Uh, so wanted to point that out as well as my little uh, connective tissue between Toronto <laughs> FC uh, to what's going on in the, around the rest of the globe. Um, and that, yeah, LAFC are uh, 
played up a man most of the two time. nothing up against the galaxy with a few minutes to go. VR is just checking right now. But regardless, I mean Guillermo Barros Quelotos LA Galaxy is dead last uh in, in, in the West. And to the joke and the circus and the the thing that I always complain about uh MLS and I love MLS. If you follow my work uh before here, I've reported extensively on it. I, I love it so much, but the thing that I can't stand. It's just that it's if you don't make it to the playoffs, there's a serious problem with your franchise. Like it's unbelievable. You have to try to not make especially it, especially this year. To be fair, especially this Galaxy year. Galaxy are in Galaxy are in the playoff conversation. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. The fact that the Galaxy right now it's still one nothing to LAFC with six minutes to go. We'll see what happens. But regardless, the fact that they're dead last in the West with still a shot of making the playoffs is an absolute joke. It's an absolute joke. Am I wrong? No, I'll say though, in fairness to them, actually I can't. There's nothing in fairness to them. But I'll say I'll, they do have they do have a couple games in hand, so they do have a, a little bit more of a chance to make that happen. My I put out a video before MLS started back in January, and I did not like the Chicharito signing. I thought that was another attempt, and I think it's being laid bare now that they're just signing big names so they can move jerseys and keep their name on the tips mm. of people's tongues around the world. And I think Heath can attest to this. Maybe you can too, Luis. When I travel. And I say something about MLS, everybody says the galaxy, right? So they're doing something right on that level, right? You sign David Beckham, you finish. You, right, you which has the, almost always been the case, right? Yeah, Zlatan, Robbie Keane, Steven Gerrard, uh, Ashley Cole. Like you sign all these names. I don't know if they're helping the squads. Maybe Beckham and Keane did to a certain extent, but the other guys haven't. Uh, and, and Zlatan obviously moved the needle in different ways, but uh, you know he still couldn't get the team to get elevated. For me, why spend that money on, on Chicharito when you need your defending is so bad. Your back four is so bad. I was at uh, El Trafico for the playoffs. It was like a seven, three game or something. First time there at the, at the bank stadium, amazing stadium for LAFC. And I just couldn't believe that the defending I witnessed on both sides of the ball. I, I, I could look at Heath right now and be like, dude, we can still play. I've seen it. I've seen the players and the decisions they make are awful. And so I just don't understand for a, a team that is as good as the Galaxy want to be, and obviously they're the most successful team. They've won more MLS Cup trophies than anybody else MLS, and uh, and so they could always like kind of lean on that. Why would you not invest any money in that? So yes, I, I, Scalotto needs to be held accountable as the manager, but he I don't know if he's the one agreeing to signing Chicharito, and then mm. I don't know. I just have some issues with Galaxy. No, it's, it's, it's a, a very really good bad point. Decision. And, and, the and they're not alone in that, but they're, they're like number one. And like, we're just going to sign a big name to sign a big name. doesn't matter where he fits into the team. No, it's a very good point because he, at the end of the day, right? Yes, the Galaxy, like Manchester United, like from a European perspective, the, the brand itself is a celebrity. They haven't won MLS Cup since 2014, you know? That's so, so, so what, what, what is your objective at the end of the day? Is it to Jimmy's point to sell shirts or is it to try and sell shirts and make sure that your squad is worthy of those shirts or is it, something else what, what do you make of it i think it goes beyond just chicharito right i think chicharito is the type of player that you have to build a system around and if you're not willing to build that system around him and i don't even think even then an mls he was going to be successful at the point of his career now but there are players like that zlatan and whatever where you have to build a system around him because of their movement the way that they shift to the game i played with when i played with thierry henry you had to build a system around him because you didn't know when he was going to track back you didn't know where he was going to, you know, there were times that he would just kind of drift off and float. If you had any other attacking players like that, you have to build a system that can account for that in transition and the way that you press. You know that you're going to, your first line of pressure is probably going to get broken every time. You have to build an actual world around them. 
But the Galaxy's problems, I think, go a layer deeper in terms of their, their academy development, in terms of their pipeline, you know, their organization within the structure. We're seeing a lot of turnover right now. Uh, in, this match, uh, in this match alone, they've panned to, I think, that it's the, uh, um, the AEG president like six times in the stands and zoomed in on him to be like, what's going to happen to Scalotto in this game? What's the right type of thing? He moved out the entire staff before he brought in his own athletic training staff, his own everything, which, which I do believe with, but then you got to ride for these guys. Go back to the Philadelphia union, Jim Curtin example, then give it a five-year, give it a five-year plan. If this is who it is and you're going to let him clean house and take out a lot of the culture and tradition that's been, been built and, and expected. That's how you build these types of clubs to last for a lot longer is no matter who you are, you come into something bigger than you. You are not bigger than anything when you come in. And you know what the perfect example is to that? Atlanta United and Tata Martino. Because when Tata Martino came in, he didn't just like invite his own, like bring in his own staff or whatever. He was solely responsible for Miguel Almiron, right? So there was already a direction behind the culture, behind the movement, behind the future, et cetera. And absolutely correct, full credit to Philadelphia Union for having the patience to just see, so you know what? The fruits of our labor is essentially going to happen. Now, of course, they haven't won MLS Cup, but, you know, obviously they won the tournament earlier today, you know, the bubble tournament, uh, and, and we'll see what happens at the end of the season. But there is something to be said when you play in a league as young as MLS that stars aside, the most important thing is a strong house. And if you don't have that, then it becomes a way harder thing, even hard amazingly, to make the playoffs, which is, you know, LA Galaxy could still make it. At this moment, as we speak, we're reaching the 90th minute. One Luis, real quick, real, real question, real quick, is that uh, um, Portland Timbers won the bubble. Uh, Philly lost in the semis. I, I completely apologize. That's right. But you know but, what? The but, Timbers but they, are a great example, too. Well, <laughs> no, that, but that's to your point. Like, Philly played so well during that tournament. That's what you remember. That's what you remember. I do want to say and add one caveat. I just don't think Philadelphia Union had the budget to go sign uh, a bigger coach. I'm sure they might've wanted to at some point because Jim Curtin wasn't doing well for a few seasons there, but they just were kind of hamstringing their budget for a long time. And now obviously- And they, they were relying on, on, on the overall vision of Jim And their Curtin. academy, just yes. The, exactly. And it's a different was, philosophy now. We're seeing a completely different agreed, type of model. Agreed, right? agreed. And, just, and, and that budget, yeah, they were bottom three, their bottom three in spending back in the time where they were, they weren't getting results. Right. And they right. saw a direct correlation. I have a little bit of insider information on this, but like they were seeing a direct correlation between spending and whatever, but then they were like, okay, do we have the ability to go out and spend 10, 20 million? Can we be in Atlanta United? No, we cannot. But guess what? We've got this pipeline of players that we've invested in for, for over a decade. And it's starting to come to fruition. These players, this is who we need to have. And we're going to be a selling club that makes this club more sustainable without having to sacrifice results. You know, some selling clubs are just about selling and then every year you have turnover and the teams can't compete. But now their belief is, hey, let's get the best players. We can sell a few, but we want to be competitive in the league as well. And we're starting to see a little bit of that uh, come together, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. exciting. By, by the way, uh, you know, I played, uh, back when I played with Thierry Henry, I mean, that's a sentence and a half. <laughs> and, and, then, and then Jimmy tackling Messi. Man, I, I feel left out here. The best thing I did was, a Penenka on my chubby cousin blast when I was 12 years old. Hey, I, I'll tell you hey, what. I you had, know what? It worked out a treat. Though. I, I had, I had the, I had courtside seats to Jimmy tackling Messi. You know, I was That's a front, right. front row of that. You know? I love it. I love it. I'm just surrounded by royalty and let it keep coming week by week, baby. I want to thank Jimmy C, Jimmy Conrad, and Heath Beers for joining me. Don't forget that you can follow us on Pod on Twitter. Make sure that you drop and leave us a question and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time when we preview the Champions League the second week. See you then.
Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.